Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the eternal truths that guide us day by day. We thank you for the living word, Jesus Christ, your precious son, and the sureness of his presence in our lives. Teach us how to turn to you so that your thoughts may become our thoughts and your ways will become our ways. Open our hearts and minds to listen and to obey your precious word. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray this prayer. Amen. Okay, so we'll make a start. I'm going to preach this morning from Mark 4, 1 to 20. I'll just give you a little bit of an introduction before we move on to the actual sermon. In Mark 4, we find Jesus ministering in the city of Capernaum. Great crowds of people have gathered to hear him preach the word of God. This is the time Jesus would use parables to teach spiritual truth. So this parable, the parable of the sower, or sometimes known as the parable of the soils, is the very first parable that Jesus actually taught. There were about 60 parables that Jesus used, which is really interesting. So as we consider the parable of the truth, of the soils, we need to look at parables in three ways, first and foremost. First, we need to understand the setting within which this parable is explained. Secondly, we need to understand the message of the parable and what it is trying to convey. And thirdly, we need to understand the challenge that a parable places upon us, the hearers. So this was in Jesus' day and it's still relevant for us as well. So let's start by looking at the setting. This was a time in Jesus' ministry where he was reaching a crisis point in his ministry. His mighty miracles and his bold claims were in conflict with the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees who saw themselves as being the guardians of the traditions and the protectors of the faith. Now comes this carpenter's son, challenging all of their so-called belief. In the Bible, it's called the ways of the elders, right? So we can get trapped up in ritual, we can get trapped up in tradition, and the Pharisees were very, very good at this. So the conflict even got further, it got widened when Jesus on the Sabbath day was picking grain and also healing a man with a withered hand in the synagogue. Now this was unthinkable. You don't do these things on a Sabbath day. Matthew, Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, made this point that the Pharisees went out and took counsel against Jesus on how to destroy him when they saw that he was breaking all their particular traditions, not necessarily God's ways, but their man's traditions. This conflict became so sharp that the small band of believers who had left everything to follow Jesus had doubts raised in their minds about the ministry of Jesus. They started to query, had they done the right thing by following this man? Why was this the case? They began to wonder as to why this Jewish rulers and the Pharisees, who they looked upon as their leaders, were so against the kingdom of God. These people should have warmly welcomed Jesus, but they were now pitting themselves against him. It was to this band of believers and to the larger crowd that had 
assembled that Jesus preached the parable of the sower. So he wanted to get the message across that not necessarily because you are steeped in the traditions of your religion can you really understand the message that Jesus was preaching. So that's why he brought forward this particular parable called the parable of the sower or more than likely it should be called the parable of the soils and that will become more evident as we go along. So that was the setting amongst which Jesus was preaching. The message is now about the bad and the good soil. So a parable takes a common everyday events of life and lifts of life and uses them to illustrate the deep truths of God. So Jesus was a very practical preacher. He took the common day events, in this case sowing and reaping, and he used them to impart a deep spiritual truth. So before we move on, let's look at Mark 4, 1 to 20, which I will read, so we understand what this parable is all about. Again, he began to preach besides the sea, and a large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat it on and sat in it on the sea. And while the whole crowd was besides the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came along and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And others fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The purpose of the parables. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows this word, and these are the ones along the path, where the word is sown, when they, hate, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown to them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no roots in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown amongst the thorns, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves to be unfruitful. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Blessed be the word of God. Everyone who heard the parables could immediately relate to what Jesus was teaching. They had all seen a farmer walk into the field and begin to sow seed into his field. They had all seen the crops spring up and it began to grow. Jesus used this common scene to teach a deep spiritual truth. He tells us that the sower is the one who sows the word of God. So that's something to remember. The sower is the one who sows the word of God. 
Remember, the parable is using everyday events to explain spiritual truth. So there's a deeper meaning other than the word sower. So the sower is the one who sows the word of God. The sower might be, in our context, the sower might be a preacher, he may be a teacher, he may be a missionary, or he may be a one-on-one witness to a non-believer. The seed is the gospel of God's grace. It is the good news that Jesus came into this world, he died for sinners, he rose again from the dead, and offers full and free salvation to everyone who will receive him into their hearts and into their lives. So the seed is the gospel of God's grace. The sower is the word of God, the seed is the gospel of God's grace. In this parable, some of the seed produces the fruit and some does not. The problem does not lie in the seed. All the seeds were good seed. Every kernel of seed had the potential to produce fruit. The problem was not the seed. The problem was the soil. The recipient was the soil. And that was the problem, not the seed. The soil in this parable represents the mind of the person who hears the gospel of grace. So that's the other thing that we need to understand. The deeper meaning of this parable is really referring to the minds of the people that, that are receiving this particular gospel of grace. So a mind is very important. When you become a Christian, many, many years ago, a good pastor who was my pastor said to me, when you become a Christian, you don't throw your brains out. You know, you're given a brain to think. You're given a brain to think very clearly about what the gospel means. So you have to engage. So reading the Bible is important, but studying the Bible is also important because at studying the Bible, you're actually using your faculties to engage with the word of God and to think it through. So Jesus in this parable actually emphasizes that greatly, that everyone who hears the gospel hears it in a different way. Some reject it and some receive it. It is the soil that is the primary emphasis of this parable. So today I want to examine this parable in light of the minds that hear the gospel and how they respond to it. As we move through these verses, I would like you to examine yourself as I have had to examine myself in reading this particular parable. You will perhaps encounter your own mind in these verses today. Let's consider the minds that are revealed in this parable as we think together about the parable of the sower or the soils. The first mind that I want to refer to is in Mark 4, 4, Mark chapter 4, verse 4. Okay, it, and it's the, it's the mind that is closed. So I'm not sure whether that's coming up, but the, the first point I want to make is a closed mind. So the seed fell along the path. This refers to the narrow footpaths that were very evident in Jesus' times. These were paths that ran along the fields. And on these paths, people walked daily, animals walked on it, but they became hard as concrete from the feet of the travelers and the animals that had walked upon it. So when the seed fell upon these paths, it could not penetrate the soil, and it remained there in the open only to be devoured by the birds of the air. Any farmer will tell you that you cannot sow seeds on ground that is baked hard in the sun. And this is a very, um, Middle East is a very um, hard place for crops to grow. So this was a very important point that Jesus was making. In In Matthew's Gospels, we are told that this speaks of the person who hears the gospel but who doesn't understand it. So the first 
point is this is the gospel this is the parable where people who hear the gospel and they don't understand it why can't they understand it because they can't make a connection between the claims of the gospel and their own lives they cannot see how the gospel could possibly have any value for them in their own lives these are closed minds maybe they are steeped in sin and refuse to believe maybe they are callous and cold towards the things of god and refuse to hear Maybe they've hardened their hearts for years against the call of the gospel, and like a part trampled underfoot for centuries, they have become hard-hearted. I have friends in that category as well. Over the years, you share the gospel with them. They're good people, many of these people, but they're just so close to the gospel. They just won't open their hearts anymore. Because of something has happened in their lives or, or... Material, materialism is taken over in their lives but there's whole, a number of reasons but they refuse to open their hearts to listen to God's word they are hard hearted and the seed of the gospel cannot penetrate the soil of their minds they hear the gospel and dismiss it as being foolishness this is said in 1 Corinthians 1.18 they hear the gospel and they dismiss it as foolishness when the seed is sown the devil comes immediately to snatch away the gospel seed Satan does this by distracting them and diverting their minds. He causes them to forget what they have heard by focusing their thoughts on earthly matters. This happens in church circles as well. It happens to me sometimes. Instead of concentrating on the message, I'm diverted in my own thoughts by, what's for lunch today? Right? You know? Is Hawthorne going to win the premiership? You know? I'm a Hawthorne fan. You know, so you have all these thoughts come in which can be very distracting. Now that's pretty normal because the average attention span of an individual is only seven minutes. Right? That's average for everyone. Even a very learned person can only concentrate for seven minutes. So we get distracted, but it's important that we bring our thoughts back to God's word on a regular basis, not just in a sermon, but on a regular basis. If we don't do that, Satan will come along and distract us and take away our thoughts into areas that are important but not of eternal consequence. Of course family is important. Your jobs are important. Hawthorne is important. <laughs> to me it is. But it is important that you understand that these distractions can become overwhelming in our lives and they take away from the truth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what he did. So he causes them, Satan causes them to forget what they've, what they've heard by focusing their thoughts on earthly matters. The person's heart has not been prepared for the work of grace leading to salvation. The seed was good, the soil was unprepared to receive it. So there's never a problem with the seed, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The seed could not penetrate the soil, the seed could not germinate. There could be no life, there could be no fruit. This is a picture of a closed mind. The next mind I'd like to comment about is a confused mind. And when we go to Mark 4, verses 5 and 6, and 16 and, 16 and 17, indicates a confused mind. Okay? The seed that fell on rocky ground. So other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no roots, it withered away. Rocky places are very common in Palestine. There's a lot of limestone in, in, in their ground in Palestine. And on this limestone, there's only a thin layer of soil. The soil looks like it's ready to be sown. 
but this ground looks good and productive and seed cast there will germinate. It will germinate and quickly spring up into a, promise plant, into a promising plant. But because there's no depth in the soil, as soon as the sun beats down on the tender plant, it withers and dies without producing any fruit. So the audience that Jesus was preaching to knew exactly what he was saying. From a physical point of view, they knew exactly. But often they never got the deeper spiritual meaning of what he was trying to convey. So this kind of soil speaks of the mind that makes an emotional response to the presentation of the gospel. This is seen in the words received with gladness. So gladness is a wonderful emotion to have, but it can be an emotional response in churches. And I've seen that many, many a time where people respond to the gospel in an emotional way. There's nothing wrong with emotions. We all have emotions, but when it becomes emotionalism, it's a problem. So a person who's always full of emotionalism loses track of their thinking faculties. They're constantly being gripped by the winds of their emotions. So feelings are important, but truth has to come before feelings. Watchman Nee, a great Chinese preacher, made a really good example about this, where he said it's like a train. You know, the, the, the front, the engine, is God's word, and, you, and, and the rest are your feelings. So the God's word has to draw your feelings forward. But if you let your feelings before the engine, you'll go off the rails very quick. And, and I thought that was a very good example. Like, always keep God's word in the forefront of your mind and let your feelings be directed by God's word, not the other way around. Because emotionalism can, can cause problems. You know, it's good to have emotionalism. You know, if you're at a football match or I have a very good friend of mine who's a very mild-mannered pharmacist, but you take him to the footy and he's absolutely goes bonkers, right? And so I've seen him run up and down the MCG aisles and things like that. And I said, Rob, what's going on here? You know, and, and that's, you know, he supports another team, which I would not mention because some of you might be in his camp as well. It's, it's, I think they call them the bombers. Anyway, so, so some try to use Jesus as, let's give Jesus a try. You know, let's just give Jesus a try. You know, I've tried everything, you know, new age movements, I've tried everything, so let's just give us a try. If you give Jesus a try, that's not really making a commitment. So other people use Jesus as a form of insurance, as a form of insurance. In a moment of crisis, they run to him in their troubles, and they abandon him when the troubles have passed. C.S. Lewis made a very good comment here. He said, we whisper to God in our happiness, we talk to God in our sorrows, and we shout to God in our pain. I think that's a very telling comment of how a lot of people live like that. We, I've certainly lived like that. Some, of, some is also known as these people are also called foxhole Christians. A foxhole Christian is like a man in battle who's in a foxhole, right? Everyone says, everyone's a believer in a battle, Right? Because you're about to die. You may survive, you may not survive, so everyone's a believer in a battle. They may believe in different things, they may not believe in Christianity, but all of a sudden they call upon God. right? And, and that's not the way Christianity should be. We shouldn't use Jesus as an insurance. Some others make an altar call in an emotional service and get caught up in the moment and make a profession of faith in an emotional service. You know? I've seen that done, and, and I've participated in services like that, and you've got to be very, very careful. Many years ago, at the very start of the, these big uh, 
what, what would you call it, big, uh, like Hillsong type events. But this was back in, back in the early 80s. And I went to Adelaide for a table conference, House of Table conference. And they were the forerunners of all these guys. And it was a major, major conference. And a friend of mine who was very conservative and myself, we got caught up in the crowd. And before we knew it, we were right up the front what they call the mosh pit or something like that. And when we got there, we never knew what to do. And people around us were jumping up and down. And conservative Jim and Bruce started jumping up and down. And But we jumped backwards so we could get out of this crowd. you know. But that was pure emotionalism that we got caught up in. And we never knew what to do. And we got up there. And one of my friends, and I don't want to cast aspersions, but it's a very, I have a friend who's a very humorous Christian. And he said, Jim, did you realize that you went to a conference and the three names in that conference should have told you about what the conference was all about? Look, I don't want to cast aspersions on these speakers. They were all good speakers. But one speaker's name was uh, Winky Pratney. The other speaker's name was Yongi Cho. And the other speaker's was Bonky, Reinhard Bonky. So he said, if you go to a conference with Winky, Bonky, and Yongi, what do you think you're going to get? You know? And, you know, and I thought to myself, that was really hilarious. But, you know, but that's a good friend of mine, and we're still very good friends. But he's been to many a conference like that as well. So I'm just saying, there's nothing wrong with the conference. It was a great conference, but you can get caught up in emotionalism. I certainly got caught up in, in emotionalism. While others hear a shallow pres- presentation of the gospel that presents the, the other issue with, a, with one of these uh, minds, which is the confused mind, is a shallow presentation of the gospel that presents the benefit of salvation but does not share the cost. It presents the benefits of salvation but does not share the cost. This person knows nothing about repentance, dying to self, and turning away from the old life. That's the fundamentals of Christianity. Repentance, dying to self, and turning away from the old life. Another speaker that I have a great deal of respect for was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You know, he was a German who died just before Hitler lost the Second World War. He was hung together with a number of close relatives because he stood in Germany against Hitler and believed in the gospel. He says this, the gospel is free, but it's not cheap. Why is it not cheap? Because Jesus paid the price for your sin and my sin to die on Calvary's cross. So the gospel is free, but it's not cheap. So it can't be trampled under. You know, we have to respect what has happened. We have to really understand what took place on the cross. So a shallow presentation of the gospel doesn't bring fruit to people's lives. It is just emotional responses. Because they have no depth in their profession of faith, they soon fall away when the persecutions and tribulations associated with knowing Jesus arise. They begin to have problems with simple matters like church attendance, prayer, and reading the Bible. They have a difficult time making a genuine, lasting break with their sins. They shrink away from the radical claims of Christ and the cross. They become offended when they are mocked, ridiculed, laughed at, or persecuted for their profession of faith. They are the people who make professions of faith that often runs well for a time, and then they wind right back into the world. In the end, they are further away from God and that further away from God than they were before, and, and they've made a commitment to follow Christ. So these are very shallow Christians. Are they really saved is the question. You have to say, no, they're not. Why aren't they not saved? Because there's no fruit in, the, in, in their salvation. 
There's no fruit coming out of their salvation because it's all about me. You become the center of your universe even as a Christian. So Christ is no longer reigning in your life. So some people refer to them as carnal Christians. So you've got to be careful of who's reigning in your life and are you producing fruit? You know, as I was doing this sermon, I had to check my own spirit. I had to check my own heart. When a profession of salvation is real, it will last. The Lord saves your soul. He will change your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says so. When the God changes a life, he does it forever. You know, I've been a Christian now for many years, but for the grace of God go I. So it's not just a number of years. It's a daily walk with God to keep you right to the end so that we can all hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. No one's ahead, no one's behind. We're all on this part of sanctification, walking together, but keeping our focus on Jesus Christ. You may fall, but you will not stay away from his house. You will not stay away from his presence. You will not stay away from his word. You will not stay away from his people. And you will, be able to not, and you will not be able to stay out of God's will if you are really following God. The next type of mind that I'd like to bring to your attention and to my attention is in Mark 4, 7, 18 and 19. And this is a cluttered mind. This is the seed that falls amongst the thorns. Other seed fell amongst the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. This soil looks like it's ready to be sown. It looks like it's ready to be sown in the soil, but underneath the soil are living roots and seeds and thorns and weeds. In our house on a driveway, which is a concrete driveway, amongst the driveway, <coughs> little um, weeds come up from time to time. And Janet, who's a gardener in our family, always tells me, you've got to put Roundup on those weeds, Jim. But what do I do? I just pull the weeds out. All I've done is made it look nice, the little cracks in the, in the driveway. But really, I have never got to the roots itself. So I need Roundup to kill those weeds. So when the seeds fall in this type of soil, it's, it grows very quickly and it almost indicates that a good harvest is to follow. When the spring seeds to life, so do the thorns and the weeds that were already there, and they soon choke out the tender plant, which then withers and dies without producing any fruit at all. This is a picture of a person who tries to have the benefit of the gospel while still clinging to the old life. They want the benefit of the gospel, but they've got their old life as well. James portrays this very well. He says, it's like a man who looks into the mirror and he's talking about the man who looks into the word of God and turns away from it. He said, this is a type of man who is double-minded in all his ways. He hasn't made a commitment to Christ, he has, and he's still got one foot in the world as well. So these are people who haven't made a conscious break from the old life of sin. This person does not have a chance of being sin, saved if he carries on this way. The seed of the gospel cannot survive to produce fruit in, the heart, in a heart filled with other things. Jesus said, it was the cares of the world, the quest for earthly riches, and the lust of things of this world that spells disaster for this kind of soil. So you cannot be double-minded in following Christ. You either make a commitment or you don't make a commitment. You know, you can't say, I'm a Christian and live a duplicious life. Because, you know, Christianity is as much about behavior as it is about reading and understanding God's word. The behavior is reflected in the fruits that you produce 
as a result of the behavior that is pleasing to God. This kind of person begins well, but soon fades away, having their profession of faith choked out by sin and the world itself. Were they really saved? You cannot say they were saved. There's no fruit of salvation in their lives once again. When Jesus comes into a life, he causes the redeemed person to make a clean, clear break with the old life of sin. This may not happen immediately, but at least your focus is on Christ and you are being redeemed. By the grace of God, you are being redeemed every way. So none of us standing here can say we are fully redeemed. Sanctification only finishes when we get to heaven. So all along life's pathway, we have to be close to God. As Rob said this morning, I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. You can't do something, you can do nothing. So we have to be in the vine, which is Jesus Christ and his word. And so that way we flourish and we start to produce fruit. So if you've made a profession of faith and there's been no change in your life, then you need to consider repentance and call on Christ for salvation. You know, repentance is a very, very simple word. It's called sorry. Right? I say to my two boys at home, how come in this family I'm always saying sorry? You know, how about you saying sorry? Right? And they say, but you have to say sorry, Dad, you're the father. You know, but I say, no, you, you've got to say sorry as well. It's all equal. We all have to say sorry to each other from time to time. So let's not put away this notion of not saying sorry. The first person we say sorry to is God. So that's why my prayer has always been creating me a clean heart and restore a right spirit within me, right? So that I will be acceptable to God. And I say that often, many, many a time I say that, creating me a clean heart and restore a right spirit in me. Because I can tell you, by 3.30 this afternoon, I may have to say sorry to God again. Right? It's not an everlasting thing. Right? So I've often said that, don't look at me as being you know, a great role model. What Paul said was fantastic. What Paul said was, follow me as I follow Christ. But as soon as he stopped following Christ, you don't follow Paul. That's what he's basically saying. So we are all in that position. As we follow Christ, we become good examples, first and foremost, to our wives, and secondly, to our own children. And that's the most important position you need to be. I have sons now in my 30s, and the greatest thing I looked to them for, and I thank God for, is that they're following Christ. Right? I don't look to them for what they've achieved in their professions and things like that. Because I tell my sons, you could be a professional, but you could be a rogue. Right? I don't want that. I must prefer them to be a humble person in life with a very ordinary job but following Christ. You know, because you know the great and famous of how they fell. You, know, you only have to read every day's papers and you see the wealthy, the rich, the famous, all infamous people now you know, from time to time. And you don't want that to happen to your own family. So it's really, really important that you don't have a cluttered mind and your mind is focused on Christ. The final point I want to make is a cultivated mind. This is the good mind. So this is in Mark 4, 8 and Mark 20. This indicates a cultivated mind, some, the seed that's fallen on good ground. This was ground that had been worked and prepared. It had been plowed and filled and was ready to receive the seed when it came. The seed germinated when the heart of the soil and the plant began to grow. When the plant reached maturity, it began to produce fruit that brought honor and gain to the farmer. So the criteria here is that it produced fruit. The only difference between these types of soil, 
was the final soil was a cultivated mind that produced fruit. All the others never produced fruit. A hardened heart, a hardened soil, a conf- which, was a, which is a hardened mind, a confused mind, a cluttered mind, but this was a cultivated mind. This soil represents the only soil amongst the four that pictures a genuinely saved heart. You see, when Jesus enters the life through the gospel message, he will make his presence known beyond all doubt. He will cause a new believer to begin to bear fruit for the glory of God. Not for your glory or my glory, but you bear fruit for his glory. And we've got to keep that in mind. So what's the challenge here? I started out by saying there are three important things in the parable. One is setting the scene. One is the message. And now I come to the challenge of the parable. The challenge of the parable is to trust and obey. When I was in Sunday school, my old Sunday school teacher is still alive. She's about 95 now. I still call her Teacher Hannah because I give her that respect because I learned so much from her. But one of the songs she used to teach us Sunday school kids was trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That is still good theology. That is a good Sunday school hymn that is full of good theology. So obedience always follows trust. You can't say to someone, I trust you, right? You can't say, I love flying, but I won't get on a plane, right? I believe in aerodynamics. I believe in everything. But as soon as you get to the airport, you say, I'm not getting on that plane anymore. Why? Because you've lost trust, right? But you may use, you may mouth off by saying, I trust, I trust, I trust. But the indication of trust is, are you obedient to God's word? A follower, a disciple is someone who places his trust in Jesus Christ and follows follows his word. You know, you you can't say, Jesus, I love you. Because one day Jesus said, I I don't know you. Who are you? You know, you never put your trust in me. Depart from me, for I don't know you. These are the saddest words in the Bible. And many Christians will get to heaven's door and Jesus will say, I never knew you. You never placed your trust in me. But Jesus, I performed miracles. I prophesied in your name. I did all of this. This is in the Bible. This is not me just saying this. And he will say, I never knew you. You never placed your trust in me. The Lord today is challenging us to look at our hearts. Look at our minds first. A mind and a heart is very, the soul is the nexus of your thinking, of your emotions, of your heart, everything. But the mind is where it starts. That's why the word of God says, renew, we need to renew our minds every day. We pray to God for our minds to be renewed. So Jesus is saying to his followers, you can expect many people not to listen to the gospel. What is the good news to you? What is the good news that matters to you may not matter to others. Many will receive the good news of the gospel and let it thrive within them. I trust that's what we are. We are listening to the good news of the gospel and we are letting it thrive within us. For some people, it's thriving 30-fold, it's thriving 60-fold, and for others, it's thriving 100-fold. Are the factors which the Lord of the harvest will multiply his seed. Whether it's 30, 60, or 100, doesn't matter. It's a sower who plants, it's a sower who cultivates, it's a sower who makes it happen. Our, our business is just to be obedient. You look at some people and you think, gee, that's a great ministry that they have. Now they've been blessed, others get blessed through them. Billy Graham was blessed many a time and thousands and millions of people he's saved. But you know, 
they asked Billy Graham, what's the first thing you will ask Jesus Christ when you get to heaven? What will you ask God? And he said, his very simple word was, why did you pick me? Why did you pick me? And sometimes I've been to a Franklin Graham crusade, but not a Billy Graham crusade. And the message is so simple. And one time I went down to Franklin Graham crusade and I saw, I thought, no one's going to respond to this sermon. You know, I've heard better sermons in the church than this sermon. But thousands of people streamed forward, came forward to be saved. This was at the MCG. And I thought to myself, the power of God was working in the message which came through the man. Right? So there was a hundredfold there. Right? Other times, ministers preach the word of God over and over and over again. And, and nothing happens. But don't discount that. Billy Graham is the product of another man. I forget his name now. But this other particular person was an unknown preacher that preached to Billy Graham in a service smaller than this particular service right now even. And Billy Graham received Christ in that service and went on to serve the Lord. So it's not about whether you are in the 30-fold category, whether you're in the 50-60 category or the 100-fold category. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. We are open. We are to be open like good soil to the Word of God. We are to trust the God who cares for both the seed and the soil to work his growth in our lives by producing good fruit. So what's our response to all of this? There's only one word, and that is receptiveness. We need to be receptive to God's word in our lives and not discount it. You know, be receptive to God's word in our lives. And we are all in different stages in life. I'm very, very sympathetic to mothers with small kids. It is a very difficult stage in their lives to be receptive. So they have to be receptive in their own way. John Wesley's mother had a huge number of kids. I forget there were seven or eight kids or something. Oh, sorry, John Wesley's wife. And, and, you know, what she used to do, she never had time to pray. You know, and what she used to do, she used to take her apron and put it over her head. That was her prayer closet, right? Because she had to manage all these kids, right? And so sometimes, don't be too hard on yourself. Sometimes you're at a stage in your life where you can't do the things that you would like to do. Others can contribute more at their particular stage in life, but as long as you are contributing, as long as you've got a good reason not to contribute, then that's fine. But if you've got to contribute to God's word, God's house, God's people, please contribute because it is really, really important. None of us can do it by ourselves. So this receptiveness is important. So what kind of soil shows a person that is thriving? This is a person that is, shows a lot of good works in their lives. Colossians 1.10. Good works is not based to be saved. Jesus has already done that. But he also calls us to good works. He says, never tire of doing good as long as the day is. So every day we are called to do something generous, something kind, something noble. All of these things are come under the good works. We are called to be holy and we are called to be righteous. Why? God says, I am holy, therefore be holy just like me. Holy is not a person, you know, tucked away in the corner of a monastery, chanting prayers and taking the vows of silence or something. Holiness and righteousness go together. And righteousness is very simple. Righteousness is living according to God's right ways. That's all it is, living according to God's standards. And that comes from genuine spirituality, not something that is fake. A friend of mine used to say, Jim, at work, fake it till you make it. I never saw her ever make it because she wasn't genuine. But genuine spirituality is being normal. 
The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee is a very good book to read. It's a normal Christian life. It's nothing out of the, out of the way. You know, some of my greatest Christian heroes in everyday life are normal people, not people that are weird. No one wants to mix with weird people. You want to mix with people that work hard, do all the right things, you know, and that's normal Christianity. So then you need to have a burden for souls. If you lost your desire for souls, this is something I have to constantly tell myself. It's not just about being on Sunday. Who am I sharing God's word with? It is really important that we, if we are growing in Christ, that we have a burden for souls. Whether it's in a workplace, whether it's a family member, but be prepared. You're going to be rejected. You know, you're going to be rejected. You know, give out books that you've read, for instance, and you feel maybe this book will do someone good. Then follow it up by saying, have you read the book I gave you? What do you think of it? And they might say, a whole lot of rubbish, Jim. You know, okay, be prepared for that. But you'd never know. One, one waters, you know, one, one sows, one waters, and one reaps, it says. You might be one of the three. You might be the person who's watering. You might be the person who's sowing. Or you might be the person who's reaping. But we all have a burden for souls. We should all have a burden for souls. And another one is praise and thanksgiving. Always thank God for what he's done in your life, in my life. You know, we take things for granted. We take things for granted. You know, I had a doctor friend from, from uh, Nigeria. They, they've, they've gone back now, many years ago. And I said, what's good about Australia? She said, I thank God every day for electricity, for clean water, and for sanitation. You know, this is not common in, the, in 98% of the world. We live in the 2% world, and we've got to be careful that we don't take things for granted. Peace and security in a world. On the 24th of December, in a country now called Myanmar, which is called Burma, 31 Christians were shot. 31 Christians by a brutal military dictatorship. A lot of turmoil is going into that country. 46% of this particular area has been under missionaries, 46% are evangelized Christians. They were going to celebrate Christian. Uh, uh, they were going to celebrate um, Christmas Eve, and 31 of them were killed. I've got pictures of it. Come and ask me afterwards the service. I'll show it to you, because I belong to a group of people that pray for this particular country and all that's going on there in terms of a brutal dictatorship. But amongst all of that, they are praying Christians. They are people who are believing in terms of being saved. Can you imagine, in a province with about 3 million people, 46% of people are committed Christians. Why? Because missionaries went there many, many years ago and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and had a burden for souls. Okay, so But today we give praise and we thank God for all that he's doing. And, and the last point is sharing material goods, sharing hospitality, sharing generosity, sharing our lives with each other. And it's really, really important that we do that as well, because these are the fruits of the Spirit that we share. You cannot be just me and Jesus Christians, you know. We, are not, we live in a community of believers. Rob and I always talk about how the church can become a true community of believers, just like in the book of Acts. Right? We need to become people that are Christ-centered, but are community-centered. I don't know about you, but I've never seen Jesus come down in front of me and say, Hi, Jim, here's Jesus. 
But I've seen Jesus in the hands and the feet of other people who've helped me along life's way. You know, that's the Jesus that I've seen. I've never seen the supernatural Jesus. I've never seen God. Of course I've seen miracles. I've seen people tell me they've been healed and I believe that. And I've seen the work of God in many, many ways. Just yesterday a friend of ours told us an amazing story about how they got an international traveler's vaccination in Canberra while they were on holidays and, and something said in their mind, they left today to go overseas and they said, 72 hours, we've got to get a vaccination. They rang up Victoria, but all the vac- labs were closed. While they were on holiday, they had this idea to ring Canberra. And when they rang Canberra, there's only one lab that was open that does international vaccinations. I wasn't aware of that. I thought they all did it. No, they don't. It's a very specialized form of vaccination that you have to put onto your passport to be able to leave the country, or otherwise you'll end up like Novak. So, <laughs> that's a side joke. But what happened here was this one little lab in Canberra had it. Now, do you think that was by chance? Because otherwise the whole plane trip had to be canceled this morning. So, you know, it was just the hand of God. So miracles do happen in our lives. But the greatest miracle is through the hands and faith of people like you and me. So as we examine our hearts, we may fall short. But remember, there is no condemnation in those who love the Lord. So don't go away condemning yourself. Try to do better. If you need to repent, do so. Otherwise, just continue to do good as you serve the Lord continually, dying to self and choosing to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And the fruits of the Holy Spirit will appear and blossom in you and me as we become more and more like Christ. That is my sermon for today. So let's close our heads now and just pray as we thank God for what he's doing in our lives. Lord Jesus, of the seed and of the harvest, plant your truth deep within our lives that it may resist the temptations of wealth, the tugs of distractions, and the greed of Satan. Let it grow at your pace, Father God, and by your grace that we may be true children of your kingdom, committed to doing your will. I ask this for myself and for my friends in Christ. I ask this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.